All right, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see everyone. All right. Good morning, everyone. Really good to see you guys. My name's Obed. I'm one of the pastors here. And as always, it's a joy to have you guys here this morning. Um, we have a lot to cover. Um, yeah, quite a bit to cover. And I know what some of you guys are thinking. Look at that jacket. Uh, I didn't want to like draw your okay. I didn't want to like, draw your attention to my jacket, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Well, basically, this is why I got this jacket. All right, I'm of African descent, and I'm trying to. I saw this jacket, and it reminded me of a lot of the African prints. So I was like, yeah, yeah. And I wore it, showed my wife. She was like, wow. <laughs> and then I walked in this morning, and Dan Boss, our lovely Dan Boss, was like, wow. And I was like, I'm going to get you one. <laughs> and then some of my mates over there, I said, I've got an idea. I'm going to get all of you guys one of these jackets, and we can all wear it. Anyway, enough of me and my jacket. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Um, if you're new, welcome. Good to have you here this morning with us. We are grateful that you have decided to dedicate this part of your Sunday to gathering with us. And we are confident um, the decision you've made to gather here today with God's people on the Lord's Day will be beneficial to you in so many ways. And so this week we're in chapter 8 and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9. 1 through to 9, not 1 to 9, 1 through to 9. So I'm going to lead us in our reading, and um, as I do that, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through to 9, reads, Who is like the wise... And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. This is the reading of God's word, and I'm going to pray that the Spirit enables us to give us, understand, gives us understanding. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. 
this gathering that is focused on you, I pray that you would help us. God, I can only do so much with what I say. But God, true life change. Father, our affections will change from loving things to loving you. Can only be brought about by you and your spirit, through your spirit. And so God, I pray that you would do it this morning and that we may all leave changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> there was a guy, and his name was Helmuth von Moltke. Helmuth von Moltke. Probably butchered how it's pronounced, but whatever. He was a German jurist who was recruited to work in counterintelligence for Nazi Germany. He was a devoted Christian, and his beliefs and convictions made him oppose the government of Adolf Hitler. He was a non-violence advocate, and because of this, he believed it was wrong to use violence um, to use violent force against the Nazis. Instead, he used his expertise and influence as an expert of the law to re rescue many prisoners from death. It was not long before he was found out and executed by the Nazis for treason. In his last letter um, to his wife before his execution, Helmuth, includes the moment at his trial when the judge criticized um, his faith in Christ and demanded he declare his ultimate loyalty. From who do you take your orders? The judge shouted. From the other world or from Adolf Hitler? Helmuth knew exactly who he was committed to. His loyalty and allegiance was to Jesus Christ. His faith enabled him to act wisely in government service, and now as he stood before his earthly judge as a follower of Jesus, this same faith and hope and trust in Jesus enabled him to act wisely. And so this morning, here's the plan. The section of Ecclesiastes 8 we're going to be swimming in. Gosh, swimming. It's not my thing, but whatever. <laughs> this section will teach us how to exercise wisdom as we live in submission to authority. This morning, what we're going to be looking at is how to wisely relate to governing authorities. And as we do, 
will acquire additional truths about wisdom. All right? We're going to discover the power of wisdom, the challenge of wisdom, and the limitation of wisdom. And so that's the plan. Let's start with the first one, the power of wisdom. The power of wisdom. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. This verse is transitional. Okay, It's a summary of what chapter 7 says about wisdom. If you was here last week, we talked about how wisdom um, was kind of elusive and it was hard to really grab hold of. Just like the wind, wisdom is really hard to attain. And so um, this verse is a summary of the conclusion of chapter 7. But at the same time, what it does is it looks forward to what we'll be covering in chapter 8. The preacher begins chapter 8 with two intriguing questions. First question, who is like the wise? Second question, who knows the interpretation of a thing? These two questions are then followed by an outcome. And this outcome is only possible if the answer to the two questions is a yes. Okay, look at verse 1 again. It says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Okay, if the answer is yes to those two questions, all right, this is the outcome. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Okay, what is this saying? This is what it's saying. If you're wise, you'll possess the rare ability to understand and explain things and as a result, your face will shine and the hardness of your face will be changed. In other words, having wisdom that enables you to understand a situation has the power to change the way you feel. What you're feeling okay, is often displayed on your face. Your outward expressions are a reflection of what's really going on inside of you. That is if you're honest, all right, and you're not pretending, okay? You can tell when someone's sad or happy or fearful because their face can be a canvas that displays their internal reality, okay? And so when this verse talks about wisdom lighting up a person's face, it's really talking about the power wisdom has to change the way you feel about a situation. And that's just so true, isn't it? Because sometimes ignorance can be so stressful. Okay? What we don't know, if we don't know something at times it can be so stressful. And then when we interpret it and understand it more, it, you know, we change. Okay? Um, for example, um, Eleanor and I got into some visa issues in 2020, as you guys may know. And the, one of the worst things we did was, to, you know, talk to multiple attorneys. Right? Um, we talked to, like, 
every attorney that everyone recommended just to get an idea of what the situation was and what was going on. And, you know, the more attorneys we talked to, the, the more stressed and the more fearful and terrified we became um, about our situation because all of them were saying, we don't know what to do with this. This is crazy. This is a weird situation. You know, all of that. And, and, and what happened is eventually we got recommended another attorney who was really expensive incredibly expensive and we spoke to them and they just had the wisdom to just say this is what we're going to do we've been in this situation before this is what we're going to do and we have confidence that we can figure this out for you and as soon as that happened I was able to sleep at night all right and it changed my mood right it changed my mood to be wise is to have the ability to understand or interpret a situation and this profoundly changes you your heart may be sinking, but wisdom has the power to make it leap for joy. Wisdom has the power to uplift and restore and rejuvenate you no matter how downcast your soul may be. So we've seen the power of wisdom. Number two, the challenge of wisdom. The challenge of wisdom. Now things are going to get really interesting. Guys ready? You sure? You're not talking to me. Is it because you're wearing masks? Look at verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Okay. Before you tune out, because most of you are American and don't live in a monarchy where you have to submit to a king or a queen, let me remind you that you can actually do this, okay? Don't actually do it in your Bible, but do it in your mind. You can actually replace the word king with any governing authority. Although this verse is referring to an actual king in the ancient world, it's relevant for us in modern America because the advice the preacher is sharing with us can be applied to any kind of authority, This verse right here has daily practical relevance for us all. And the preacher is advising us to do what? To do what? Thank you, whoever that was. You're listening. (laughs) To put it another way, if you are wise, you will live in submission to governing authorities. If you are wise, you will pay all of your taxes. If you are wise, you will not break the speed limit. If you are wise, you will not use work time for your own personal time. If you're wise, you will not contribute to online abuse towards government officials and authority figures. And if you're wise, you'll get vaccinated and wear a mask wherever you... I'm kidding. (laughs) Got you there, didn't I? I was wondering whether to include that part. I was like, I'm British, I can do that. And so, question is, why obey governing authorities? Why is it considered wise for us to obey governing authorities? Look at verse 2 again. 
I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Because of God's oath to him. Okay? In other words, it's saying you're to obey and submit to authority because of the oath of God. Most of you are probably confused as to what the oath of God really is. Okay? If you are, don't be surprised because even distinguished academics in the world of Bible interpretation are not completely sure of what the oath of God is. Okay? There's some debate about whether this refers to an oath that a person makes or an oath that God makes. Some scholars interpret the oath of God as a vow of loyalty made by the people of Israel. And there's a few examples of such oaths in the Old Testament. But I think the best way to interpret this verse is to see the oath of God as a divine promise rather than a human promise. What does this mean? Philip Ryken will help us. He says, in the Old Testament, the people of God were obliged to obey their earthly king because he was anointed by Almighty God. To obey the king, therefore, was to give honor to God. (laughs) The thing we often forget about authority figures, the thing we often forget about our president or our prime minister or our governor or the mayor or your boss is that God is the one that has put them in that position. So if God is the one that has put that person in that position of authority, What this means is that when we obey authority, we're ultimately obeying God. The opposite is also true. If we disobey governing authorities, that must mean we're ultimately disobeying God. You don't believe me? You think this is just Old Testament Ecclesiastes, this is more referring to ancient kings. Look at Romans 13. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13 verse 1 to 2 says, Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. Okay? That's what it's saying, right? For there is no authority except that which God has established. What is that saying? (laughs) There's no authority. Every authority has been established by God. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. As 
Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're expected to obey authority figures as part of our obedience to God. We're commanded by God through Romans 13 and so many other places to, sub, um, to be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is God has established. There's more places. Look, 1 Peter 2. Look at 1 Peter 2. Also tells us, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. Juan Sanchez is a pastor and he has this to say. It doesn't matter if those governing authorities are good or bad if you elected them or not, if you agree with them or not. Christians are to submit to governing authorities. God isn't surprised by their rise to power. He put them there. Philip Ryken said, our submission to authority on earth is one important part of our submission to Christ in heaven. And so, what's your attitude like towards President Joe Biden and his administration? What's your attitude like towards the governor of California? What about the mayor of San Diego or the mayor of the city you are from? What about your professor or your boss? Do you show a submissive spirit to your employer or do you grumble, complain, and undermine your boss's authority? Whether your political party is represented by an elephant or a donkey, do you respect the governing authorities that God has placed over you regardless of their political affiliation or your opinion of their policies? Or do you mock and deride those in authority? Based on what we've just studied, right? Governing authorities are ultimately installed by God. And as a Jesus follower, you're to live in submission to them because when you do, you ultimately obey God. Whenever the topic of obedience to government is brought up, the most common question that follows is this. Is there ever a time when it's okay for Christians to disobey governing authorities? That's a big question, isn't it? And it's an important question and it's an expected question. Here's like a simple, obvious answer, okay? We're to obey the authorities God has established over us unless and until we need to disobey in order to obey God. 
Submission does not require us to obey someone if they ask us to sin or obey laws that force us to dishonor God. Okay, and we know that. All right? We know that. When the commands of a governing authority <laughs> conflict with God's commands, Christians have a duty to disobey in order to obey Jesus. And this is incredibly challenging for us all, I'm sure, because we are living um, in times when there's been a lot of political upheaval and um, because of COVID and everything that happened and, you know, the elections and everything recently, it's, uh, it's been, at the, this all has been at the forefront of our minds. Um, we've been all thinking through what we believe as Christians and how that lines up with a particular political party. Um, we've been looking at policies more than ever because of COVID and the mandates and everything like that. And there are an incredible amount of differences. And I know for sure, I can't read minds or anything, but I know in a church of this side, there are differences of opinions when it comes to our political affiliation and how things should pan out. I, I, know, the, I know there is. And so the topic of submission to government is not so straightforward, and it's become incredibly controversial and divisive, even in the church. As a pastor, right, I've, you know, I, I connect with pastors, and we've been, we've been, grieving the impact political differences have had on churches. And we're not perfect. We're just not. But when we see members of our congregation whether verbally or internally conflicting with each other and having differences that cause them to, 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 to not want to associate or be with us. It's, it's just, it's become so divisive. And the sad thing is, it's just affected the church. And our prayer has always been, it's fine, absolutely have your opinions and preferences when it comes to some of the COVID mandates. But our prayer is that for the sake of the gospel, let's not allow this to divide us. Let our allegiance and our commitment and our love for Jesus 
be, be way stronger than our allegiance and our love for a political party or certain policies. It's all about Jesus. And my prayer and our prayer should be our love and appreciation and our treasuring of Jesus would unite us and keep us united. Submission is hard. It's challenging and weighty. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenging, sorry, and a weighty act of self-denial. It really is. It can feel like death, but enduring the challenging act of submission or differences in an opinion will give all of us a renewed sense of gratitude for what Jesus suffered on our behalf. Michael Kruger says this, when we as Christians deny ourselves and submit ourselves to those in authority over us, we're doing something distinctively Christ-like. Whenever we say, not as I, but as you will, we are acting like Jesus. And so the big question for us all is, like, what does it look like? And I want us to explore this more in our community groups and not just now, but throughout, like, just to explore, like, yes, like, it's fine <laughs> to have preferences, but I want us this week to search our hearts to figure out how much, what our true allegiance is as Christians. Who are you most committed to? Who are you with? What are you more passionate about? Are you passionate about the gospel and Jesus and his glory and his church? Or are you more passionate about the political part? Just let's be honest with ourselves. And so, wisdom can be challenging, right? There's a challenge to wisdom. And in this particular application, the challenge of wisdom is as learning what it looks like to submit to authority um, in a way that doesn't weaken our affection and commitment to Jesus Christ. So, we've seen the power of wisdom the challenge of wisdom. Lastly, we'll look at the limitation of wisdom. Look at verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the um, just way. This verse affirms what has already been taught in verse, um, in verse 2, namely, people will know no evil. Sorry, verse 4, that was, I think. Um, it then says 
this verse 5, that a wise person will know the proper time and the just way. That is to say, um, the wise person knows the proper time and the proper way to do what is right. Look at verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. In verse 5, the preacher described the wise person as someone who knows the proper time and the proper way to do what is right now. Um, in this verse, verse 6, while he reaffirms that there is a time and a way for everything, look at this, right? He also says something. What does he say? That man's trouble lies heavy on him. And so the question is, and so the question is, what trouble is he talking about here? What's the trouble that lies heavy on humanity? There's a lot of troubling things about being human. A lot of troubling things about being human. <laughs> I think one of the things that bugs me about being human is, and this might be gory, but if I ever lose a limb or something like that, I think about it. I'm like, if I ever lose my arm, my eyes, whatever, internal organ, that is it. Like, that is it. It can't grow back. That's all I have. And that's troubling to me. We are fragile. We really are. There's so many things in life that trouble and frustrate us, but what's the troubling reality the preacher's talking about here that lies heavy on us all? You know, we want to know what it is? Look at verse 7. This is it. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? This has to be one of the most troubling things we all have to live with. Our ignorance of the future bugs us. We're often troubled by our inability to know exactly what will happen in the future. The uncertainty about the future is one of the most troubling things about being human. And this is absolutely true, isn't it? Because you don't know what's going to happen to you this, like this time next year. You don't know where you're going to be next month, what you're going to be doing, what the world is going to be like. And honestly, like if you think about it, you don't know what's going to be, happen to you when this service is done. Anything could happen. We don't know exactly what will happen in the days to come. Will I be able to achieve my goals? Will the economy be good or bad? Will my spouse come back safely from deployment? Will I get, you know, will I get my ideal job when I graduate? Will I get married and have kin kids? I think about this one a lot. Will King's Cross Church survive for another year? 
Or will some crazy something just destroy the whole thing? These are just a few of the many uncertainties we have about the future. It's beyond our ability to know exactly what the future holds. You can be the wisest of the wise, but you will not be able to determine the future. Tremper Longman says, Tremper Longman, he's a professor at we, um, where, where? Um, in Santa Barbara, yeah? Westmont, yes, exactly, Westmont. And he's like crazy smart. He says this, a wise person is someone who is able to make competent decisions that fit a particular situation. An important component of this ability is an int intuition concerning the future results of a decision, but here such a possibility is denied. Wisdom is incredibly valuable but like everything else, it has limitations. It cannot prepare us for what is to come. And this includes the day that we die. Look at verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the, death of, or the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Um, there's a lot happening here, but it's basically saying that wisdom is valuable, but like everything else, it has limitations, and it cannot prepare us for what is to come. Wisdom can never achieve the kind of control over our lives and destiny that we desperately want. Wisdom helps us to live well, okay? Wisdom helps us to stress less, relate wisely with government authorities. Wisdom helps you make the right decisions and choices in your life, your business, your marriage, your work, education, family, ministry, children, etc. But at the end of the day, wisdom has limitations. It's never going to help you control your destiny. You can wisely manage your finances, but there's no certainty your, your money will be protected. You can eat well, have a balanced exercise routine, but there's no guarantee you'll remain healthy. Wisdom can give you the skills and discipline to finish college and graduate with a really good good grade, but you cannot be certain you have a successful career, and you can wisely raise your kids, but there's no guarantee they will become the adults you really want them to be. Wisdom has limitations. I just, this is what Ecclesiastes does over and over again. It, it identifies our idols, the things we worship in place of God, and it helps us see how futile and fleeting they are. 
And so if wisdom, knowing, knowledge, wisdom, if wisdom and knowledge is what you cling to for control of your life, you're going to be left disappointed. Why? Because it's God, not wisdom, who rules the universe and determines the future of everyone on planet Earth. And so what do we do in this situation when we've realized that money, we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, we've realized that money, so many things that we love and appreciate, and now it's wisdom, okay? It's wisdom. Now we've realized that wisdom has limitations. What do we do? We realize that it's God, not wisdom, who is sovereign over all. And so the natural response should be that we trust God and do not make wisdom an idol. Because at the end of the day, the wisest way to live is not to find answers for everything, but the wisest way to live is to worship the God who does. And the only way to truly worship God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world who lived the life you could never live, who died the death you deserve to die, and rose again so that you can have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. So when we, you sub, we submit to any earthly government, we're really submitting to him. And lastly, Jesus Christ most of you know this, but some of you don't. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And so, if you want to be truly wise, dedicate your life to following Jesus, to becoming like him, to doing what he does, and to be, just know him and live for him. That is how you live wisely in this world. Ecclesiastes highlights our idols, helps us see that they could never save us, help us see that they could never ultimately satisfy us. And then when we're left in this place of man, these things can't, these things can't give me what I've been looking for in them, that is when we turn. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at, but my prayer and our prayer and your prayer this week over and over again is that you would help, you would, you, you would, you would pray that you would know Jesus more and more. Let's pray.
God, thank you for this morning. You are a good God. You are so gracious. Help us to be a church community that is aligned and committed to you more than anything or anyone else. Thank you that when you do reveal that the things we idolize and worship are weak and futile, thank you that you point us to Jesus. And so whatever it looks like for all of us, just, just help us, God. Help us to be a community that doesn't allow uh, our political preferences to divide us. But help us to be a community that is so passionate about you. Yes, we can have those differences, but they will never come in the way. Um, they will never divide us. So help us with that, God. May we be an example to the world out there of what unity looks like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.